Well, hello, friends. Today, we're beginning a new series of messages titled The Gospel. Now, the gospel means good news, and I think you will agree with me that our world is really needing some good news right now. Um, also, the gospel is how we enter into a relationship with Jesus, and it's how we grow in that relationship. We never outgrow the gospel. It's how God grows his love through us. Now, the reason I'm doing this series or launching it today is because I talked to a lot of non-Christians and Christians, and I expect my non-Christians to not understand the gospel, but I am so surprised at how many of my Christian friends do not fully understand the gospel and cannot articulate it and therefore cannot share the hope of Jesus Christ with other people. So we're going to take care of that the next several weeks. We're going to look at the gospel from different angles. We're going to circle around it and deepen our understanding of it. Uh, my son and I and, and my, my wife and my daughter, we were at the Cherry Creek Mall pre-COVID, and uh, Carissa was running some errands, and there were all these sports cars in the mall. And there was a Lamborghini, which uh, Chester really liked the Lamborghini, as did I. Uh, there was a Maserati. That was pretty cool, too. We, we went into the Tesla shop. He was not impressed with the Tesla. He uh, is more of a combustible engine kind of guy. But the car he fell in love with was the McLaren. Now, if you've never seen a McLaren, this is what a McLaren looks like. That particular McLaren is the Elva. It comes out in 2021, and it will only set you back $1.7 million. Now, I'm going to go off uh, on a tangent for just a moment. My, my grandmother, her name was Elva. And so if any of you want to buy me this particular car in honor of my grandmother, may she rest in peace. I will gladly accept this gift, and I'm sure it will bring a smile to her dear face in, in heaven. Can you imagine if I actually owned a McLaren, the kind of rumors and gossip that would be spreading? Okay, I digress. Um, that's not going to happen. So back to the McLaren in the mall. We were walking around the McLaren, and my son was absolutely mesmerized. He loved everything about it. He loved the tires, the brakes, the chassis. He loved the, the interior, all the, the dashboard. He just fell in love with this car. I kept trying to pull him into this jewelry shop where Chris was getting a ring cleaned up. He did not want to go. In fact, when we finally had to leave the mall, he started crying. Um, I have some major expectation modifications I need to make in my son's life before he gets his first car. Well, the McLaren is very mesmerizing. But even more so, the cross of Jesus Christ the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely mesmerizing. So the next few weeks, we're going to walk around it. We're going to look at it from different angles. And we're going to let the gospel of Jesus Christ fill our hearts with, with wonder at the glory of God. We're going to be mesmerized by the good news. Let's pray towards that end. Father, we thank you for the gospel. And we thank you for the witness of those who died for it in the New Testament and we pray that beginning today and through the next five weeks, that as we circle around the gospel, that we would see you in the gospel, that we'd see your face in the cross. We would see your love. Uh, we would see your, your mystery, your wonder, your awesomeness, that we would be mesmerized by you and by your good news, and we'd be drawn to fall on our knees in worship of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we're going to be in a text I've never preached out of. Actually, a book in the New Testament, a letter to be more exact that I've never preached out of. It's 2 John. If you're a Bible reader, you've probably just skimmed right over the top of this chapter in the past. It's kind of weird, but it juxtaposes the gospel of Jesus' love with the gospel of self. So let's begin with verses 5 through 6. John writes, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. 
And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So let's back up a little bit and try to understand what he's saying here. He's preaching not to a lady, like a literal lady. He's calling these churches that he's helped start and he's helped pastor the lady. John is sort of caught up in his gospel and in the book of Revelation with the idea that, that the church is like the bride of Christ. That when God sees us, he, he sees this beautiful church. He doesn't see what we often see. You know, people who have made all kinds of mistakes, people who are very imperfect. Uh, he, he doesn't primarily focus on, on the, uh, the scandals and the things that we often see when we see a church. Instead, he sees who we are in Christ, who we are because of Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us, and he sees what we're becoming and what we one day will be, this beautiful, beautiful church. Now, John is writing to a, a cluster of circus, not a, not a cluster of circus. He's, he's writing to a, a cluster of churches in modern-day Turkey. They're small. Don't think buildings or basilicas. Think little tiny homes with people in them. Think simple churches, kind of like what we have going on right now at Restoration. Uh, we, we put out digital content, but the church is basically now this convention of small, simple churches meeting in homes, pastored by co-vocational pastors, a.k.a. group leaders who work a day job, but then they pastor their, their people. So our situation is actually very similar to John's situation. And, and he's telling them that he's not giving them a new command. This is not new teaching. He's saying, I'm giving you an old command, in fact. I'm telling you to love one another. Where did he get that idea? He got that idea from Jesus. Jesus took the 613 commands in the Old Testament, and he boiled them down into the single commandment to love God and to love people. And, and then Jesus put this command on display through his work on the cross. And so it was John who wrote in his gospel, his biography of Jesus, he wrote this verse that has become the most famous verse in the world in the Bible, and that is, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, that is the gospel of Jesus' love in one single verse. What's it teach us? It teaches us that God loves us. God loves us. He loves every single one of you. Regardless of what you believe or what you don't believe, what you've done or what you haven't done, regardless of the, the magnitude of your sin or the color of your skin or your politics or your temptations, he loves you. And he loves you so much, he sent Jesus Christ into the world so that you and I would not perish but have eternal life. Which brings us to the next two points of this verse, and that is, apart from Christ, we will perish. Our, our sin creates death, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical death. It separates us from God, others, and ourselves. Apart from Christ, we will perish. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that if we trust Jesus Christ, we, we place our faith in him, he will give us eternal life. And we'll unpack that a little bit more later in this message. But let's continue. Um, verses 7 through 9, John speaks again. He says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Strong words. Watch out. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching 
has both the Father and the Son. So John seems kind of grumpy in these verses. Why is he so grumpy? Because there is a, a rival gospel that was beginning to be taught, and it was infiltrating the churches that he'd started and, and had pastored. And the primary teacher was this very charismatic man named Serenthus. And his ministry took place between 50 AD to 100 AD. And he was a docetist. If you're a nerd like me, you like new words. Um, docetism comes from the Greek word dokine, which means to seem. And so what Serenthus was teaching and, and his disciples were teaching is that Jesus was God, but he only seemed to be human. And John is saying here, oh, no, 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 no. Anyone who teaches that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they are a deceiver and they are an antichrist. They are anti-Jesus. And so he's challenging this teaching. He's saying you have to believe that Jesus Christ came in the, the flesh. That is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus came in the flesh, that he put on humanity. He was fully God and fully human, and he died for us on the cross in the flesh, feeling the same kind of pain any human being would feel if they were crucified. And he's saying, if you don't have Jesus in the flesh, you don't have God. If you want the cosmic Christ, the spiritual Christ, you have to have the incarnate Christ as well. You can't separate the two. There is no gospel apart from the historic work of Jesus Christ on, on the cross. So he was a docetist. He was challenging this docetic teaching that Jesus was not fully human. And he also was a Gnostic. Serenthus was very Gnostic. Um, maybe you've heard about Gnosticism in the past, maybe a history book or something on TV or whatever. Uh, Gnosticism has been dogging the gospel of Jesus Christ now for 2,000 years. The, the basic teachings of Gnosticism are these. First of all, you are God. I'm God. We're all God. Uh, that there is this, this God in the universe, and this God sent out these, these sparks of the divine. The Gnostics call them aeons, these, these sparks of divinity. And because of an accidental God known as the Demiurge, who we don't know how he was created, but he was an accident, he has materialized these sparks, and that leads to our problem. You and I are God, but we're encased in these bodies, and we're in this physical universe, and it's keeping us from realizing our divinity. And so the solution to our problem is knowledge. Um, Gnosticism, again, for the nerds out there, myself included, Gnosticism comes from the word in Greek, gnosko, which means knowledge. If we can just get enough insights, uh, enough knowledge, we can transcend the material world and we can become fully divine. Do any of these teachings seem like they're still around today? I believe the teaching of the Gnostic teachers like Serenthus are just as alive and well and challenging the Christian belief in Jesus Christ and his gospel just as much now as they were 2,000 years ago. So think about what we're, we're told frequently through the books we read, the commercials we see, the, the ads on social media, the, the teachings even of our friends, and sometimes even the teaching of pastors like me. I've taught some Gnostic teachings. I've been aware of this. It, I, I'm more aware now, but I, looking back, I go, I've taught some Gnostic stuff. What are the basic teachings of neo-Gnosticism? The Gnosticism that's being preached to us, it's the primary gospel of the Western world right now. It's the gospel of self. The gospel of self teaches us that, yes, there is something like a divine spark. We're not just image bearers of God. We've got divinity within us. And so our goal is to get the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
We have to transcend our physical needs, our safety needs, even our relational needs, and become fully self-actualized. And so uh, we use language like you have to find your true self. That's the goal of life. You must find your true self, your authentic self, your most real self, because you are divine. Uh, another teaching today is that our, our problem is still the material universe. If we could just get rid of COVID-19, if, if we could... If we could stop you know, all the problems we're having because of uh, our mismanaged government, if, if, we could, if we could get rid of climate change, if we could transcend our bodies, if, if we could live longer, have more energy, be more attractive, then we could achieve self-actualization more readily and find our truest selves. And, and so the solution is what it's always been as taught by the Gnostics. It's knowledge. We need more knowledge. We need, we need biohacks. We, we got to try some, some new fitness routines, some new diet uh, protocols so that we can have more energy, so that we can be more fit. We, we've got we to look better. We, we, we've got to get some like, relational hacks that will help us in our relationships. We've got to watch that TED Talk we haven't seen yet that will help us become more successful in, in business and in life. We've got to try some kind of teaching we've never tried before. Let's try Stoicism this week. Let's try Taoism next week. Let's go to some place we've never been before to see the world from a different angle. We need more knowledge. If we can just get more knowledge... We can transcend our physical limitations and we can discover our truest selves and be self-actualized. Now, caveat, uh, there is truth in all these teachings. Like, like there is a, an inborn desire, I believe a God-given desire to be authentic, to be real. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, part of our problem is we're in a broken, fallen physical world and, and we do need knowledge and we need wisdom and understanding. Nothing wrong with some of the teachings of Gnosticism, except that they go too far. The goal of Gnosticism is to worship yourself. Um, the way Gnosticism views God, if they believe in God at all, is that God exists for your glory rather than you existing for God's glory. Did you catch that? God exists to help us become more glorified rather than we exist to help God be glorified. And we all fall into this. There's a human propensity because of sin to worship ourselves instead of worshiping God. The gospel itself is so, so attractive. So a couple self-confessions here. Uh, my Sabbath is on Friday. And, uh, and honestly, I, I, I read so much spiritual stuff. And I'm so in the scriptures <laughs> during my, my, my typical work week. That I, and this may sound bad, but sometimes I just want to read other things and just kind of take a break from some spiritual things, which uh, might be just the opposite of you for your Sabbath. And so I'll read. I, I'm kind of a fitness nut, always have been. And so I, I'll look for a new biohack, a, a new diet. Uh, this week it's amino acids. You know? And, and uh, I just have fun doing that. And, and again, nothing wrong with that. But I'll find myself getting so caught up in like new ways to have more energy that I, I focus too much on myself. Or, or I'll get on social media in the evening or on my Sabbath and I'll, I'll make sure that we've curated the right pictures of me and of Chris so that we, we have put on social media. Um, this is kind of ironic. Two weeks ago, I, I'd preached. I was preaching the gospel like I am right now. And, and uh, I, was watching, I was watching me on the screen and I needed to hear that preaching, that teaching as much as anybody. But instead, I was focused on how I look because let's be honest, we have these really great cameras, these super high-def cameras, and they show everything. They show every freckle. They show every wrinkle. They, they show the pores in your skin. And I, I said, Chris, come here a second. I said, 
do I really look that old? And, and most of the time, it's great to have an honest wife. But sometimes she just goes too far. <laughs> she says, yeah, you actually look that old. I go, I look like I'm 80 years old. What was I doing? I, I, was, I was caught up in myself. I was worshiping at the altar of the gospel of self. So we're all prone to this. We're all prone to this. And it's doing damage to our soul. Gnosticism, old Gnosticism or neo-Gnosticism, it damages our soul. So it promises great freedom. Um, Gnosticism says you can be very free because there's no higher authority. There's no laws except the laws you create, the rules you create for living your life. So great, great freedom. But we become enslaved to our freedom. We're, We're so free that we have FOMO problems, fear of missing out. Now we have FOBO problems, you know, the fear of a better offer. And so uh, we, we, uh, if you're single, I, a lot of my single friends wrestle with this. They find somebody they really like, a man or a woman, but there's this, these millions of options. And so it's hard to commit because of all the other options. Uh, in, in our church, you know, we, we encourage people to get into small groups, but it's hard to get people to do that because, man, they might miss out on something else if they commit to being in community with other people. Uh, on the weekends, sometimes I get paralyzed because there's so many options and things we could do or, well, less during COVID, but there's still plenty of options that I kind of get paralyzed about what to eat. Um, we're becoming enslaved to our freedom. We have so much freedom that it enslaves us. And, and then we have less connection than we were made for because if freedom, the freedom to be ourselves and to find ourselves, our truest selves is our highest value, then we often find ourselves sacrificing Connection, because to have connection, you have to give up some of your freedom. And I, I find this with myself. I, if Chris and the kids go away, uh, or I leave some to go someplace, at first I'm like, yes, freedom! I can do whatever I want to do. I can do it whenever I want to do it. And then I start missing Chris and the kids, and then we get reunited, and I have connection again. I'm not lonely. But then I start going, man, I kind of miss my freedom. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the paradox of freedom. We have to give up freedom to have connection. And then also we have to take our gaze off of ourselves and put our gaze on God because we live in this little tiny story of the self if we're not focused on God, this little tiny story. And we start getting empty because we just feel like our story is so meaningless because it's not a part of God's great big grand story. And so worshiping the gospel of self, living the gospel of self, it has all of these consequences that are seldom discussed in our modern world. So what do we do? Um, if we want to move from the gospel of self to the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ, we have to trade in our mirrors for windows. Exhibit A, a mirror, a mirror, okay? So uh, if I'm staring at the mirror and I'm focused on me, I am living out the gospel of self, I see me. And I'm thinking, me, 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 me. And I, I can't see you because I'm so focused on me. I don't see Jesus in the cross because it's a mirror. I'm just focused on, on me. And, and the more I focus on me, the less connected I feel to God and the less connected I feel to other people. And ironically, the more I focus on me, I actually start to lose me. I start to lose myself in seeking myself. And I also, I, I lose love and I lose, I lose compassion and I, I start feeling empty because I'm so focused on me and my little tiny story. So we got to trade in our mirror for a window. A movie came out in the 1990s with Julianne Moore. 
And in this movie, she's beautiful, of course. She's Julianne Moore. And she has this really handsome husband. She has these beautiful kids. They live in this gorgeous house. They have all these beautiful friends. They have lots of freedom. But she begins to feel this emptiness and, and even this paranoia. And she starts having these weird seizures and doctors can't figure out what's wrong with her. And, and, and over time, she, she gets so weirded out by her, her feeling that pollution's infecting her. And I think about this, this is a very appropriate movie for COVID-19. <laughs> We're all getting a little paranoid right now about germs and stuff, right? But, but she gets so paranoid that she leaves her family behind and she goes out into the desert and she becomes a part of this commune and she sits under the teachings of this guru and everyone lives in little houses by themselves. And, and at night she can hear traffic. And so she asks her guru if she can move as far away as possible from the traffic and from the other people who are already isolated from each other in this commune. Then at the end of the movie, the last scene, she is staring in a mirror. She's looking at herself and she says to herself again and again, I love me. I love me. I love me. And as the movie ends, her face is streaked with tears. Tears of despair. If we worship ourselves, it leads to isolation and emptiness and meaninglessness and anxiety and fear and despair. We have to trade in our mirrors for windows. Let me explain. Windows, windows, windows. I got a, got a window here. And I want to look through that window at the outside world, but I also want to keep in my purview the cross of Jesus Christ. As I look at the cross of Jesus Christ, what do I see? Well, I see that I deserve the death he died. So I don't feel very entitled. I don't very, feel very proud as I look at the cross. In fact, the cross humbles me, which is good. But I also see the love of God. I see the face of God on the cross. I, I see a God who loves me in spite of the fact I don't deserve his love. I've made so many mistakes and I've sinned so much. I don't deserve that love. It's a free gift. And all I have to do is receive it. And as I focus, as I focus on the love of God put on display in the cross of Jesus Christ, my heart is filled with his love as I worship him. And, and as I look through the window, I, I see you. I see the people. And I'm filled with love towards you. The, the love of Christ compels me to want to love you. And, and the more as I see myself through the cross, I, I see someone who's loved, who's a son of God or a daughter of God. I, I, I realize I have hope. I've got eternal life. I'm a part of this, this great big huge story that, that transcends my life and history, the history of this world. And it will go on to eternity forever and ever. I'm a part of this great big story. There's so much hope. And, and what I find is that I start feeling healthier and healthier and I start discovering my truest self. I, ironically, as I die to myself and I focus on Christ, I get my truest self back. That's the value of looking through the window at the cross of Jesus Christ and at others. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, he describes heaven and hell as being like one fabric and, and people who worship the gospel of self, 
they, they move further and further and further away from each other. Kind of like Julianne Moore's character, she kept wanting to move further away from other people. That's what happens in C.S. Lewis's understanding of, of heaven and hell. And, and the further they get away from God, and the further these people get away from other people, then ironically they get further and further away from themselves as they're worshiping themselves. In fact, they, get, they, they become so not themselves, they become less than human, and eventually they become like garbage. But those people who are focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God, they move closer and closer to God. They move closer and closer to each other. And they begin to experience this, this unity of love, love with each other, for each other, and love for God. It's a beautiful depiction of the difference between living the gospel of self versus living for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The latter, the latter helps us see everything, helps us see ourselves, see God, and it brings us closer together as uh, the human race. <laughs> well, C.S. Lewis, in another essay, uh, The Weight of Glory, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. What's Lewis saying? He's saying, uh, I need the sun to rise every day, I trust it because as it rises, I can see things. But I also choose to believe in the risen Christ because as I focus on the risen Christ, I see everything else that I need to see. If we're going to see ourselves. We're going to see the world that God has made the way he wants us to see it. If we're going to see eternity, we have to focus on the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to trade in our mirrors for windows. Let me end with a story. It's the story of John, and this story comes from an ancient commentary on the book of Galatians by a man named Jerome, and this story was passed on to him by other pastors who actually knew the Apostle John. Now, a little factoid about the Apostle John. He was the only one of the 12 disciples who did not uh, die for his faith. He was not martyred for his faith, and so he lived to be in his 90s. And when he was really, really old, he would visit these little simple house churches in modern-day Turkey, and he was so tired that the pastors of these churches, these co-vocational pastors like the pastors of our simple churches, they would pick him up in a chair, and they would walk him through these little churches of 20, 30, at, at the top end, 40 people. They, they would walk him through these little churches, and because he was so tired, the only sermon he could preach was this. Children, love one another. Love one another. My friends and fellow members of the Restoration family, this week, let's trade in our mirror for a window. Let's keep our eyes focused on the love of Jesus. Let's let the love of Jesus mesmerize us. And as we do so, and we look out at each other, it will compel us and inspire us to love one another another. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that in the gospel, we see that we are unworthy of relationship with you and eternal life, but we also see that because you died for us on the cross, you took our place, we are now able to receive freely your love as a gift, not something we earn, but freely as a gift. And so this week, help us focus on your gospel of love. And, and we pray that it would fill our hearts with the love of God so that we can love one another. In your name, your name we pray.
Hey, before I go, I wanted to speak briefly to those of you who you've realized in the course of what God's been saying to you in this message that you've been worshiping the gospel of self and you want to trade in your, your mirror for a window. And maybe you've never done this before or, or maybe you used to look through the window at Jesus, but now you've gone back to the mirror and you want to come back to Jesus. Um, if that's where you are today, I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer with me right now. Jesus, I'm trading in my mirror for a window. I'm shifting from the gospel of me, the gospel of self, to the gospel of your love. And so right now, I receive your forgiveness. I receive eternal life from you. I give you my life for yours. Be my savior. Be my savior and be the leader of my life. If this is your prayer, say amen, which means yes, to say amen right now in your heart or out loud. I want to encourage you, if you're on our chat, raise your hand. If you're watching on demand, you can click a button there. Let us know that you just made this decision. But your next step, your next step is to get baptized. So I want to encourage you, go to our baptism page on our app or on our website, sign up for baptism. Uh, we will come to you. We'll help you find the perfect time for you to get baptized. And we'll come to your house or you can get baptized future baptisms here at restoration but this is your next step what you're saying is you've died as you go into the water to the gospel of self and you've been raised to this gospel of love please do not delay get baptized as soon as possible and then one final thing i want to thank your thank you guys for your generosity we actually have more givers than we've ever had and you make it possible for us to put content out there. You are making it possible to have more of these simple churches. We've doubled the number of people who are in our, in our groups. As of this weekend, this month, we will have baptized 27 people. Over 200 people have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior the last, uh, what is this, seven months now since the beginning of the year. We're helping, you're helping us plant churches and take care of our church planters. And you're helping us meet the needs of a lot of people who are hurting in our community. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I just want to speak to those of you who consider restoration in your church family or maybe you've been blessed by our content. I want to encourage you to become a giver, not just a consumer, but a giver. So please go to our app, go to our website and become a regular giver at Restoration and help us continue to reach people with the message of the love of Jesus Christ. Love you guys. We'll see you next week for part two of the gospel.